With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome yet again to a an episode of DRI Cybersecurity and Data Privacy Podcast. Um, we try every so often, and we're going about once every other month or so, uh, to give you a glimpse of what's going on in data privacy and cybersecurity across the country and around the world. My name, I'm Chris Fleury. I'm an attorney with Ellison Winters out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And today, we're we're very excited to have another great guest to talk about yet another interesting topic of the law. Jeremy uh, is is with me as always. Jeremy, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, Chris. I'm Jeremy Falcone. I'm an attorney with Ellison Winters in Raleigh with Chris, and we're we're excited today. We're here to talk about cookies, and not my favorite type of cookies, but the tracking technologies that are available and the privacy pitfalls that can result from the use of those tracking technologies. And we've got a really great guest with us today. We've got Alex Pierce with us. And Alex is a partner at Wyrick Robbins in Raleigh, North Carolina. He was previously the lead privacy counsel at SAS, the technology company based in North Carolina. So he comes to us with a ton of knowledge on, on this type of stuff. In fact, Alex was certified as a specialist in privacy and information security law by the North Carolina State Bar Board of Legal Specialization as, as part of its inaugural class. Um, so Alex is, is going to be an exciting guest for us today. I'm, I'm so excited to hear about him and to learn more about these, these tracking technologies. But before we get into that, Alex, tell us a, a little bit more about your practice. Sure. Thanks, Jeremy. Chris. And let, let me first say thanks so much for, for having me. I was excited to have the opportunity to talk with you all. Um, so as you said, I'm a partner at Wyrick Robbins. Uh, we're a full service firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Unusual for a firm of our size. We've got a group, uh, currently six lawyers dedicated full-time and exclusively to privacy and data security. We do that work for, for clients in a, in a broad range of industries and of all shapes and sizes from early stage startups all the way up to members of Fortune 50. Um, and, and the actual work we do is uh, all different kinds, which is one of the things that makes the practice area interesting. Um, so the work we do includes things like you know, reactive breach response, incident response, so helping clients investigate incidents and respond to those incidents and to the fallout from its regulatory investigations, sometimes litigation. We also do a good amount of proactive uh, compliance advising and counseling. And so as, as we'll sort of get into today, the, the privacy legal landscape is, is, is kind of a scary place to be right now. That's very dynamic. Uh, lots of new laws and regulations being proposed and adopted all the time. So we work with clients to try to figure out efficient ways to, to manage the risk under those laws and still 
pursue their business goals. And, and then a good chunk of our practice is dedicated to uh, transaction members and we help clients negotiate agreements that involve data security and privacy issues and also do uh, some work on on the sort of MA larger corporate transactional side to help sort through these issues when they come up in those deals. Um, so as, as Jeremy said, I, uh, I sort of came into this area as an in-house privacy lawyer, a large technology company. Uh, for a number of years since. Well, awesome. Th thanks so much, Alex. And we're, of course, very happy to have you with us uh, today. Jeremy mentioned cookies, uh, and, and that got me kind of thinking a little bit, not about actual cookies, uh, because I, you know, I have an eight-year-old in the house, so we can't have those. Anytime we buy them, there ends up with yeah. like an empty cookie container very quickly sitting on the counter or otherwise hidden about. But I do want to ask, you know, Alex, just to dive right into it, when we talk about tracking technologies, when we talk about those kinds of cookies, uh, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Great question. And, I, and also to flag, you know, I, I told my kids I was going to be talking to my friends, Jenny and Chris, about cookies this afternoon. We got real excited about that until they figured out what was actually decidedly less interesting. But, but I think it's interesting. Um, so, so the technologies that we're talking about here are, are technologies that are used usually by websites, can also be used by mobile applications, um, and that collect information about the users. Of those websites and mobile apps and, and the users' activities in those websites and mobile apps. So, so two key examples are cookies and web pixels. So a, a cookie, to listeners, is a small text file that is stored um, on your device when you visit a website. It can later be retrieved and read by the website, uh, by the web server, about your device. Um, and so cookies can uh, help websites and web servers keep track of your activities on a website. There's various different kinds of cookies. Some can be first party. So a cookie is set by the actual operator of the website you visit. Um, and there can be third party cookies, which are cookies placed by other parties, um, parties other than the, the operator of the website. Um, they can also be, they vary in their duration. So sometimes a cookie is active only during your session on the website and if it's deleted afterwards, we call those session cookies. Um, or they can be persistent. Uh, so the cookie gets set when you visit the website and it remains for some period of time after you leave. Um, you can you can usually control whether these cookies are set through your through the settings on whatever browser you use. Uh, and so Privacy conscious people do that, but, but I think your average web user probably doesn't think too much um, about this. But, but the fact is, most websites that you go to are using cookies to um, analyze your behavior and then sometimes to track you when you go and visit other websites. Uh, there's a similar technology which we refer to as pixels or web beacons. So these are, these are sort of clear graphic images, usually very tiny, one pixel in size, hence the name pixels. They get uh, delivered through your browser and, and operate as kind of a tag to record your visit to a particular web page. They also get used in email sometimes, so, so people can see if you've opened an email. This technology is used for that. Um, often also used in conjunction with cookies to, you know, as, as sort of part of third party tracking services. Um, those are similarly sort of typically invisible to the end user. No, no, typical user probably is not aware. When those technologies are being used in the website. 
So you mentioned when you were talking about cookies that, uh, you know, kind of that savvier web user that they're going to say, you know, no, keep that cookie away from me. I, I know that I, when I go to like some sketchy website, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want any of your cookies. But if I'm going to somewhere where I've been before or a website that I trust, maybe I'm, I'm more okay with it and, you know, maybe I'll allow it. But I really want to ask you, what concerns might these kind of technologies create from the standpoint of a website visitor, someone like me who is maybe clueless, or uh, just a general person who is concerned about their privacy? Yeah, so really, um, there can be concerns, and often it kind of depends on the kinds of cookies that we're talking about. So, so a cookie just going to be used for various purposes, some of them uh, that probably aren't, aren't controversial at all. So, so for instance, cookies um, can also be used as a necessary component of the way a website functions. So often, a uh, website might use a cookie to sort of recognize you as when you come back to a website. Um, they might be used to um, to keep items in an online shopping cart. That's often cookie technology that's doing that to, to keep you logged into an online account. So, so some some kinds of cookies don't really present. Sure, they shouldn't, from my perspective, really present any concern and are kind of necessary to the experience of the website. But there are also other kinds of cookies that aren't aren't necessary and, and sort of on a spectrum of concerning to less concerning. Um, most websites use sort of analytics cookies, um, so cookies that collect information about uh, maybe broad demographic information about their users, collect information about how people are using the website, so if the website operator can um, uh, use that data to better understand how people use their websites and applications and, and make improvements to those websites and applications. So, so the analytics and performance cookies and other technologies fixes. Um, and then further down, you have sort of advertising and targeting technologies. So, so technologies that are really meant, that are typically used by third parties to track users, uh, not just on the website that they go to, but then when they visit other uh, places on the internet. And I think that's that's where some of these concerns come in, is, is the use of third-party cookies that are persistent that, that track people on. And so in, in terms of what concerns these might present, um, I think for, for a number of years, folks have, you know, I have heard people talk about just kind of a, a general creepiness factor, like a, like a, a feeling that if I, yeah, the, the prototypical example is that I go to a running shoe website from a runner, those websites a lot. <laughs> I look at a pair of running shoes and I go to a newspaper website and I see an ad for the same pair of running shoes that I was looking at when they running shoes. These tracking technologies are what enable that to happen. Some people get sort of freaked out by that. And, uh, just this kind of idea that someone is watching them. You, you may have heard over the years, like people getting concerned that their phone was listening to them because they'll, they'll see ads for, for a product that maybe they were talking about. Uh, and, and typically it's, it's usually not it, but there's just a profile that get built up about you through these technologies where they know with some pretty impressive accuracy the things that you are likely to be interested in. Um, but again, a, a lot of that is this sort of more effective advertising targeting that people may not be especially comfortable with. Um, one of the things that is driving sort of the uptick in risk around these technologies now uh, is a recognition that, that as people do more and more things online, I think the, the pandemic shows spurred this, that they're more, more likely to be um, doing things online that involve disclosing sense, more sensitive information to websites. So 
um, when kids uh, were, were sitting at home in school all the time, kids go on the websites. I think people tend to be less comfortable with detailed tracking and, and the collection of information about children um, around the internet. Many of them are, are using online applications because they're um, precise geolocation data is another sensitive area that folks are interested in. And so some of these technologies, um, especially for, for mobile apps, can be used to, to provide detailed information about where you are geographically located. Um, and you can imagine it, it doesn't take somebody who's a who's a, who's a privacy activist to start to be a little bit concerned um, about the collection of that information. Uh, if, if they don't have a good sense of who, who is getting that information and, and what they might be doing with it. And then um, an area that's especially hot right now uh, for reasons we get into is uh, sort of health information. So there, there's been an uptick in concern about um, healthcare provider websites and, and mobile health applications and, and tracking technologies used in connection with those websites where the, the information that a cookie or a pixel or other tracking technology is collecting might might relate to sensitive health conditions that someone is is very proud about does not you know wants to share that information with their doctor or wants to wants to do research on their own on the internet and they're going to websites whether it's healthcare providers or other similar um, similar sites that um, they're using tracking technologies that result in this sensitive information the, the fact that a person is interested in a a particular condition or is looking for a healthcare provider that treats a particular condition, having that information then transmitted to unknown third party analytics and advertising providers, uh, and then potentially used to, to target ads, I think has, has raised concerns. And, uh, and, and this has been one of the things that I think has brought this issue into sort of more uh, stark relief with the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs. And so that's had obviously lots of different. Uh, ways in political and legal arenas, but but in my world, it's it's caused people to become more concerned about this online tracking technology. And so the concern would be, for instance, if a, if a particular medical procedure has been outlawed in the state, information that that is collected online about individuals who might be interested in that procedure, trying to get that procedure becomes more and more sensitive. It could be used by law enforcement or other authorities for criminal prosecution or other similar purposes. And so I think that that is also driving um, some of the concerns. That's fascinating because I, I wouldn't have really thought about the tentacles of Dobbs extending into to data privacy, but that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Alex, have you seen any uh, litigation or uh, enforcement actions kind of growing out of those types of issues? We really have, and that there, there's been a spike in um, regulatory investigations and, and enforcement activity in private lawsuits. And so, a couple of examples. Um, there was, I think, last year, summer 2021, uh, there was an online sort of expose put out by um, an outfit called the Markup that that discovered that lots of health systems were using a pixel provided by Facebook uh, on their websites and, and, and sort of online patient files. Um, and that results in potentially uh, information about that, that you're putting into a, 
to sort of log in patient portal that you log into to schedule a visit with your doctor um, to, to get test results, et cetera, being transmitted to Facebook um, in an identifiable way. And typically the way that Facebook, Facebook's pixel works is, is it can be used to sort of uh, tie whatever, tie an otherwise anonymous internet user back to a Facebook profile and say, um, some of these health systems were potentially transmitting um, information about what their patients were inputting into their patient portal back to Facebook. That resulted in um, several class action lawsuits. Um, it actually resulted in a lot of these health, in some of these health systems sending data breach notices and hit that to their to their patients. Wow. So I got I got one at my house. <laughs> Saying you, you may have logged into our patient portal between these dates, we have discovered that the that the metapixel was was inadvertently placed on these uh, on this part of our website, and so your information was transmitted to Facebook. Sorry. Um, so so that has driven some litigation. Is that true. signed by Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> right. No, it was the, the hospital had to send. Um, and uh, the. So we, we that that has led to lawsuits, these data breach notifications that actually led HHS's Office for Civil Rights, which is the agency that enforces HIPAA to issue sort of a guidance document that, that sort of said, if you're if you're a healthcare provider, your patient portal is collecting protected health information subject to HIPAA, um, you cannot use these tracking technologies to collect information for advertising purposes if you have. If you're using these technologies for other purposes, you need to make sure the appropriate restrictions are in place. So uh, it's become a major issue, as I said, in the, in the healthcare space. Another, um, so that's sort of uh, lawsuits and other actions are pending against a number of these health systems. We've also seen state attorneys general and the FTC bringing enforcement action against websites and mobile app providers. Um, regarding their allegedly wrongful collection disclosure. And usually these, these actions are focusing on these sensitive categories of information. So health information, geolocation information, information about kids. Um, again, under various theories that we can get into, um, but, but all seeking to sort of curb what, what they're doing is excessive data collection and, and disclosure by these you know, these websites mobile providers. So Alex, you, you touched a little bit on, on not only uh, what was kind of going on on the litigation side, but also a little bit from, from lawmakers. I mean, what, what, kind of what kind of response have we seen from lawmakers, really at the state level, but also at the federal level from these types of technologies? Yeah, so um, for, for a number of years, there has been talk of a, of a federal, uh, adopting a federal privacy law. Um, and, and so, if you've been in this practice area, you've heard, you've heard rumblings about that for the past several years. There have actually been a couple of concrete proposals that, that seem to pick up some steam. President Biden, in the last year, needed to address your call for the adoption of bipartisan privacy legislation and you know, putting limits on what tech companies can collect online. But so far, that really hasn't, hasn't borne any fruit. Um, I'm not, not going to predict whether it will, but I'm not. I'm not particularly optimistic that that's going to happen. So, the, in the absence of federal action, what we have seen is sort of an explosion of, of legislation and, and laws being adopted 
at the state level. And so the first was California um, back in 2020, had a law come into effect called the California Consumer Privacy Act, which which gave individuals a, a right to opt out of sales of their personal information. Um, that law was recently updated um, to, to more explicitly cover the sharing of information for what, what that law calls cross-contextual behavioral advertising. So now being shown to you based on not on just on your activity on one particular website, but on other places. Um, several other states have followed suit. Colorado, Connecticut, Utah, and Virginia have all adopted laws that specifically give individuals the right to opt out of targeted advertising. Um, and so this is forcing companies to actually figure out um, what, what tracking are we doing, what purposes are we doing it for, and, and how are we going to implement this requirement that we give individuals uh, an opportunity to opt out of. Um, th those are laws that have passed, um, I think, so, so far this year. Uh, I get alerts all the time about, about proposals from all over the country and other states um, for similar. So I think it's it's just a matter of time. This is sort of in my world, it looks a lot like the, the spread of data breach notification laws. Like they started out in California, um, and and over time, states adopted often similar looking but slightly different versions of data breach notification laws and, and just a couple years ago we finally had the fifth state I think it was Alabama adopted a data breach notification laws. So, so unfortunately I think we're we're seeing a similar process play out here um, with each state adopting its own sort of slightly different version of the consumer privacy law that includes specific restrictions on uh, online advertising online. In where those laws are being passed, how are they being enforced? Are, are regulators getting involved? Good question. Um, so, so far, the good news for companies is that most of these laws do not include private rights of action. They usually vest enforcement authority in the attorney general of the state. Um, but in California, at least, the attorney general has been pretty active. We have uh, the first public enforcement action under the CCPA against normal retailer Sephora. Um, I guess it was late last year or this year, uh, but related to this issue, um, Sephora using online tracking technologies without making sufficient disclosures to the customers about them and paying a million dollars. So um, we do have Regulators pursuing that again. The, the rest of the state laws are, are so new and some aren't even effect, in effect yet. So we don't know sort of how aggressively uh, the AGs in those states are going to, going to pursue enforcement. But in California's case, the new law also created a whole new agency called the California Privacy Protection Agency to enforce this law. Um, so I think we're going to continue to see aggressive enforcement. Uh, again, and it, and it's sort of an example of a state taking up the reins because the federal government has uh, been. Alex, you mentioned that many of these laws don't have a private right of action. So how, how exactly does the plaintiff's bar, do you have any sense of how the plaintiff's bar views this space? Yeah, so, so, so plaintiffs are getting creative in this space and there, there are a couple of different um, examples. So um, they're often bringing lawsuits based on, based on laws that really weren't adopted with online tracking technology in mind, but they're sort of creatively using them uh, to attack this. So, so an example is state and federal wiretap laws. So, so laws that prevent you from 
intercepting the contents of the communication. Some states have a two-party consent requirement. Some states have a one-party consent requirement. So one of the things we've seen is a wave of cases, a lot of them focusing on what's called session replay technology. So this is tracking technology, you know, usually a little bit more involved than just cookies or pixels, but, but software that's capturing keystrokes, mouse clicks, cursor movements that can later be analyzed by the website provider to better understand how users navigate their sites, so they can make improvements, et cetera. Um, and, and, and plaintiffs alleging that that the use of this technology, which is often provided by a third-party provider of this session replay technology, constitutes the unlawful interception of contents of communication. Um, we've seen sort of varying levels of success, but a lot of these cases have gotten past motions to dismiss um, the 12B6. Some of these cases have also focused on online chatbots, so like customer service chatbots from the website. Again, provided by a third party, you're, you're inputting communications. Uh, into the little box that pops up on the bottom of the site. You're talking about a chatbot. Some some cases have used that theory as well. Um, the other sort of place that's sort of caught fire recently is is under a law, a federal law called the Video Privacy Protection Act. So this is a law that was adopted and uh, it was passed by Congress in 1988 after the press obtained and published Robert Bork's <laughs> movie rental history. When he was when he was nominated for the Supreme Court, um, that was troubling to, to members of Congress. So they passed a law that broadly prohibits um, videotape service providers from disclosing personally identifiable information about what videos an individual watches without written consent. And critically, the law includes statutory damages of twenty five hundred dollars per breach. Um, so those laws have over the years as as blockbusters closed and, and, and people started watching videos online, that there have been sort of um, waves of litigation using the DPPA as a theory against like online streaming providers or online retailers that sell DVDs or, or video games. Um, and this, this most recent wave is against um, sort of other companies whose primary business is not selling or, or, or distributing video, but who happen to have videos on the website. Um, so, to, to my kids, great sadness and chagrin, Chick-fil-A was, was the target of one of these lawsuits, and, and there have been a bunch of others, and they, a lot of these lawsuits also involve the meta pixel. So the idea is these websites are showing videos, and, and the meta, the pixel provided by meta is, is sending back to meta information that allows uh, meta to identify that a particular user viewed a particular video. Uh, and so plaintiffs are, are alleging that this is a, an unlawful disclosure under the BPPA. But again, so these cases, we're um, getting past the motion to dismiss stage, and at least so far. So it's, so it's definitely an area of risk. If, if your website has video, <laughs> these tracking technologies can, can definitely present things. That's fascinating. I, I did not realize that history with Bork's. Uh, yeah. Rental history. I, I'm surprised we haven't seen a similar law preventing folks from distributing yearbooks from high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, I, I would be in favor of that. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so I, I feel like we do this every podcast. We we get very scared about these things. And today we've we've figured out how to be scared of cookies and one by one pixels. But let's shift to talking kind of something productive here. So what not that it hasn't been productive, but what can we do? What can we do to prevent uh, these issues? When a company comes to you for advice, Alex, how do you counsel them to mitigate these risks? Yeah, so the um, first question we, we always ask is sort of, you know, what, what technologies are you using? It's usually critical to actually understand what technologies your website or your mobile app is using. And often that, that's a harder question to answer than, than you might think. Um, we often see sort of a disconnect between the company's legal counsel, whether it's an outside external counsel, and the company's web team. Um, and even on the web team side, maybe you know, the, the, I think the problem with some of these third party technologies is that they're so easy to implement um, that you know, Dave and Dave on the web team can just choose to implement some, some third party cooking technologies. So sometimes we talk to clients um, and and we'll have their website scan for cookies and pixels and start asking questions. And, and sometimes you know, the company don't know why that particular technology is being used or, or what it's for. And so I, I think the first the first step is really asking the question um, to understand in detail what tracking technologies um, the website's using. And then it's a question of who's providing this. Again, it, it, the, the kinds of technologies that are that are creating the most concern are third-party technologies. So understanding who those third parties are, what they're doing with the data they collect, um, and what their terms say about what they can do and what their customers need to do. Um, you know, the, the issue typically arises when the third party who is providing the technology is using the data that you provide them not only to provide a service to you, whether it's to recharge your advertisements or to provide you analytics, but then that are also have a right to use that data sort of for their own purposes and help other clients. So, so getting a good understanding of um, what what rights they have and also what options they give you for, for toggling this. Some of the big providers, including Meta, um, in some cases can offer sort of different settings of, if you're subject to some of these laws that, that are more restrictive, um, you can implement a particular setting that the work configuration changes what you can and will do with the data and maybe makes it more less risky. Um, so it's critical to sort of understand that uh, what terms apply and, and use that to better evaluate risks for the data. Um, and then once we've got an understanding of that, so what, what technologies do we have? Where do we get them? Who's getting the data collected through these technologies? Um, we think carefully about sort of what what laws apply. Really, really about what the concepts. What what laws is the company subject to? What industry are we in? What geographies are we in? Because um, that will give you a better picture of how much of a risk this is. So they said healthcare is sort of red hot in terms of this or this one. If you're a if you're a consumer focused health company or a healthcare provider, uh, this is sort of a very high risk area at the moment, just getting all the focus on it. Whereas if you're a you're a B2B B2B operator operating sort of an informational website and you're having these analytics figures you're probably not a lot of risk. Um, but doing that sort of 
thoughtful evaluation of, um, you know, what is the risk environment we're operating in, um, and make decisions about what you're going to do. And then, and then finally, is taking steps to mitigate that risk where you need to, or to comply with the laws that apply to you. So, so that may be, um, you all have probably seen as you search the internet, you start seeing more and more of these days cookie banners. When you, when you go to a site, a banner pops up and says, we use cookies on this website, often it gives you the options of accept or reject those cookies. A lot of people find those super annoying. Those come from these, <laughs> they, they, these sorts of laws and risks. So we can um, blame you. That's right. Uh, but but again, um, depending on, again, depending on what laws are in scope, what, what industry and the use of those solutions, which are often provided by third parties um, can mitigate this risk uh, and, and again might might also be kind of just a, a compliance requirement for laws in, in places like california that, that require you to provide an opt-out if you're using certain kinds of these technologies um, so that's that's sort of the the framework that we work from is you know, step, step one is understand what you're using step two is understand who's using it step three is what's What's our risk environment? What's our risk appetite? What industry are we in? What's kind of geographic reach? What laws apply to us? And then fourth is actually you know, figuring out from a from a concrete perspective. Assuming one of the one of the strategies we're going to use to mitigate this risk is to is to be more transparent. It gives users more choice um, in implementing mechanisms to do that. And that's actually in the last several months has been what. I had a lot of my colleagues have been spending time on this sort of working with clients to figure out you know, what solutions we need to implement and what does it mean to look like? How can we implement that solution and still achieve our business goals? Because again, I, I think the other thing that, that can't get lost here is, um, and I'm not just an industry shill here, but, but some of these, <laughs> these tracking technologies are, are useful in the sense that they, they allow a, a better experience for the end user. Um, and so it's a question of making sure that uh, our clients can achieve those goals while, while avoiding some of the troublesome risks that using these technology experience. Well, that's great. Well, thank you, Alex, so much. This has been fascinating. And I've, I've got to tell you the next time I am urgently clicking through a Twitter link to some news website to find out some information about my uh, long suffering love of the Tennessee volunteers and it, pops up with one of those cookie maps. I'm, I'm going to think of you, Alex. Um, but we really appreciate so much your time today. This has been really helpful. Uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, what are some ways that they can do that? How can how can people find you, Alex? Yeah, sure. The firm's website is uh, wyrick.com, W-Y-R-I-C-K.com. Our practice group also has a blog called Practical Privacy. It's practical privacy, one word, at wyrick.com. Um, so I and my colleagues write about this topic and lots of other privacy legal topics. We try to do it in a, in a practical, informative, and, and sometimes entertaining way. So that's an easy way, easy way to find us. Um, it's just online. Well, thank you so much, Alex. And I, I'm personally going to be sure to check out the Practical Privacy blog. That sounds like a, a pretty fun place to uh, to check out what's going on. And I think that's it uh, for yet another episode of DRI Cybersecurity uh, and uh, Data Privacy Podcast. If you've got ideas or suggestions for another show, uh, Jeremy and I, we're easy to find. We're Googleable. If you happen to be a, a DRI member, you can also find us on there. And if you're not a DRI member, I uh, would certainly encourage you to 
head over to DRI.org and, and see what all they've got to offer. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.